It is uh, good to spend this Sunday, this new year together. I was glad to say, or glad to see that many of you made it home from your travels and from, from being up north. And uh, I didn't mention in prayer, I should have, it, it kind of slipped my mind at the moment, but you know, we uh, joke a lot, especially with our family and friends that are up north uh, this time of year because the weather gets so cold and, and brutal there and it's so pleasant and comfortable here. And if you're like me, you like to kind of tweak your northern friends about that. Um, but in all seriousness, we do want to be in prayer for you know, a lot of our family and friends and the communities up north because it's it's a whole new kind of cold. They're get, well, I shouldn't say new, but it's, it's a whole different kind of cold. And uh, I know that it's very, very dangerous and very, very serious. And so we pray um, for safety in a not as significant event kind of thing in comparison to that. But, but Lori and I were talking before the service. You know, they've got that football game today in Green Bay. And they were saying that it feels like 40 below. That can't be safe. That, that's just, that's... I can't, I can't fathom that kind of cold. I don't know what that feels like. I know some of you do. I don't want to know what that feels like. So, um, so you know, as, as much as, like I said, we, we do kind of, and I joke about it a little bit, we want to kind of keep that in prayer. And for some of our friends who may not be home yet because they're stuck, you know, we pray for that. It's for safe travels. Um, this morning, read from the prophet Isaiah. 43rd chapter. I'm going to read verses 16 through 21 as, as we kind of frame our thoughts around a new year and, and a new beginning and, and new things that we often toast and celebrate at the start of a new year. So let me begin by reading these words from our Holy Scriptures this morning. Isaiah 43, beginning at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Loving and merciful God, we gather here to proclaim your praise and to be open to the way that you make for us and that we would respond in faithfulness. Speak to our hearts today through your word and through our time of fellowship and worship that we would ever grow together faithful as the community of faith. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. There is a a Calvin and Hobbes, Hobbes comic strip. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. I've told you before, they are, that is my favorite comic strip of all time. And there is a, um, a strip uh, that finds Calvin and Hobbes in, in conversation. 
And Calvin is lamenting the new year. And he proclaims, I am disillusioned with the new year. It, it begins, but it always seems to be the same old thing. He said each year it's greed and violence and pollution and selfishness. The future doesn't seem to be getting any better. The new year is the same as, as the old year. I thought the new year was supposed to get better. And Hobbes, in his prophetic and philosophical way, looks at him and says, well, that's the problem, because the future is always becoming the present. The future is always becoming the present. For us, we begin this year in a figurative sense with the recognition that the future has become the present. 2014 has become the here and now. And with it comes this renewed sense of, for many, not for everyone, but, but kind of a renewed sense of, of opportunity and, and optimism. I, I think in, in many ways that's kind of what the new year at least momentarily brings for a lot of people. I think that's why we, we celebrate it the way we do. I, I was reflecting on this personally on New Year's Eve, and, and Tony and the kids and I went over to Jupiter to spend a few days with my brother and, and his wife and, and my niece. And, uh, you know, New Year's Eve, we had dinner together. We enjoyed the evening together, you know, lit sparklers with some of the neighborhood kids. And um, at 11... 59, we were sitting in the living room, and this was the scene. If you were looking at the couch that was facing the television, there was Cassidy, there was Tony, there was me, and there was my sister-in-law, Tina, and my brother, Brian, and then in a chair to the side was Ryan. And we were waiting for the ball to drop, to celebrate the new year. And the ball dropped, the countdown to, to, to the new year, we said Happy New Year to one another, and within five minutes, we were in bed sleeping. <laughs> and, and as we're sitting there, as we're sitting there on the couch, and, and we're fighting it to stay awake, because my brother and his wife are not late-night people. I'm not a late-night person. Uh, the kids were fine, and Tony was probably doing better than the rest of us, but, but we're just fighting it to stay awake. And I'm thinking, why? Why are we doing this? We don't care about this television show. I'm not that interested in watching the ball light up. But we do it. And part of it is tradition. And, and part of it is, is um, you know, kind of living into this, these experiences and this tradition that we create around New Year. But I think part of it also speaks is there's something inherent in a lot of us that wants to welcome in this New Year right away. Because with a new year comes this renewed sense of, of opportunity. And, and looking for, I, I believe that within each of us there is the hope that 2014 is going to be better than 2013. Now that doesn't mean 2013 was bad for you. But I would venture to say no matter how good your previous year was, you would hope the new year's even better. I mean, am I wrong? Anybody wishing for 2014 to be worse? 
Okay, I didn't think. And if 2013 was a rough year, then 2014, we, we kind of, we attach symbolic value to, to the calendar. I, I see this in conversations. I see it on social media. You know, the way that we, we celebrate the new year. And for some people, that optimism doesn't ask, last very long. But whether it be momentary or not, we, we still... We still feel it. We still internalize it. And the idea is we want 2014 to bring new experiences, new opportunities, new memories, if you will. I mean, that's the nature of life. We're not meant to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. That's called a rut. Uh, there was a conversation two colleagues were having about another one of their colleagues. And one of the guys said, well, you know, he has 30 years of experience in his field. And his friend said, no, he doesn't. He has one year experience 30 times. <laughs> okay? You ever feel like that sometimes? Man, I'm, I'm just having the same experience over and over and over again. That's called a rut. Well, they say the difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. Okay? <laughs> I didn't write it. I'm just sharing it with you. That's not what we were created for. And, and we know that. That's why, again, that's why 2014 or, or any new year, 2015, we'll be having the same conversation every year. We've had it for, for our whole lives. But that's why it brings at least momentary sense of optimism because we know we're created for new experiences, growth, development, new things. And so we were talking about that in the office. Lynn and I were talking about it this week. She came in. We were talking. She said, any good scripture verses for the new year? And, and I immediately couldn't think of one, honestly. But there's only one verse I could come up with. And that became the verse that is at the heart of the scripture that I read this morning from Isaiah 43. That says, see, I am doing new things. And I thought, what are some of the principles that God instills in us that we need to hold on to? Some of the, the values that are, that are inherent in our faith that give us a true sense of, of excitement and optimism for, not for a new year, but for the new things God is constantly doing in our lives. And so I started to read and reflect and, and work around this scripture text. But the interesting thing was, it didn't become immediate to me, or it wasn't the most significant thing I read, wasn't the see I'm doing new things which is what brought me to the verse to begin with. But there was a little clause in Isaiah's prophecy. Now, now let, let me frame this a little bit, because I think context, as I've said over and over, context matters. And Isaiah the prophet is speaking to his people in the midst of their Babylonian captivity. He's speaking to them in the midst of this very difficult reality that they find themselves in. And he's speaking to them about promise and hope, and he's reminding them of God's deliverance and God's promises. But I want you to hear a little thing that is thrown in there, the, the voice of God that speaks. At verse 20, says, The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is God's provision. To give drink to my people, my chosen. My chosen. I thought, that, that's significant. Easy to miss, but incredibly significant. Because God reminds them in the midst of, of their turmoil and difficulty and challenges, He's reminding them who they are. 
he's reminding them what their name is. He says, your name is my chosen. Name is significant. It's significant biblically. Individually, there are a number of stories, both in the Old and New Testaments, about God changing names in relationship. God giving people new names that create, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, new identity. I mean, if, if you're familiar with some of the, the stories in, in Genesis 12, in Genesis chapter 12, the entire focus of the Scriptures changed. That is a pivotal chapter in the entire Bible because the first 11 chapters of Genesis deal with creation and the big narratives of life and Noah. But in Genesis 12, it zeroes in on one man and one family. And really, the rest of the scriptures are the story of, of his offspring. Now, who am I talking about? Abraham. Abraham, right. But Abraham wasn't his original name. It was Abram, exactly. God gives him a new name. And his wife was Sarai, but she becomes Sarah. Jacob, a few chapters later, wrestles with God and becomes Israel. Yeah. And in the New Testament, Saul has a blinding experience on a Damascus road with God and becomes Paul. And a fisherman by the name of Simon is given the name of Peter. And I was thinking about him. Peter, Petra, which means rock. That's what Jesus says. It means rock. And he says to him, you're the one I will build my church on. He says, you are a rock. I want you to think about the, the characteristics that come to your mind as you think of, if I said to you, somebody is a rock. I don't know exactly what you might describe them, but for me, I would say that is somebody who's emotionally stable, somebody who's dependable, somebody who's in control, who, who comes through in the clutch. Those are all the things I would say about somebody who's a rock. Now, think about Peter. He heard Jesus preach for years about nonviolence. And when push came to shove and Jesus is arrested, what's he do? He grabs his dagger and he cuts off the ear of a guard. Peter who was impetuous and, and very often spoke before he thought. Peter, who flees when Jesus is arrested. Peter, who you know the story, denies Jesus three times. I mean, these are the things that we know about Peter. That is hardly the character of somebody who I would describe as a rock. But when Jesus sees him, he sees in him his potential. He sees in him the ability for somebody who has an abundance of weakness. Anybody in here have some weaknesses? Just wondering. But sees in that weakness the ability for them to be turned into strengths. He sees the potential, the possibility, the giftedness of Peter. And he declares him a rock before anybody would have seen in Peter someone who was a rock. You know, for a lot of us, we look at ourselves and we see all the worst about ourselves. We see our negatives. We see our shortcomings. We remember our failures. We see what we wish we were, not what we were or what we are. We tend to be our own worst critics and we have this voice inside our head that is constantly beating us down. Reminding us of the times we've come up short, the times we haven't come through, the ways that we have just failed 
and messed up. We have a tendency to think that's the way God sees us. But the Scriptures tell us a different story. The Scriptures say that when God claims us, He he names us. I've used that before. He claims us and He names us. And that name speaks to our value and our worth and our potential. And you may not have had your common name changed. You may not have been a Simon that becomes a Peter or a Sarah that becomes a Sarah. But your name, let me tell you what some of the names God has for you according to his word. He says, friend, for I have called you friend. You are called son and daughter. You are called beloved. You are described, and I am described, as an instrument of noble purpose or clay in the hands of the potter. In other words, you are valued, and your name speaks to your value and your worth. And we need to claim our name and let and shut up those voices in our heads that would speak to our failure and our shortcomings. And remember, God knows that, but what does he say? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves God's love toward us. Those are the words we'll use in just a few minutes in our communion service. You are men and women who are named beloved and son and daughter because God sees our value. And, and this isn't just individual. This, in fact, I'm really doing a disservice because when, when God talks about my chosen, he's talking to the community of faith. He's talking to a people. I, I read from 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. When God gives us a name and he says, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You were once not a people, but now you are God's own people. You are my chosen. And so us together, with our failures and our shortcomings, are given a name of value. That means something. That is significant. Because in our name, in our being claimed by God, comes our new beginnings. See, our beginnings and our potential and and our anticipation of the future doesn't rest on a calendar but it rests in the power of God working in us. And that name communicates newness. I, I'm a huge fan. My favorite musical of all time, so far at least, is uh, Les, Les Miserables. That is, that is my favorite. Uh, love it. Seen it a number of times. Every chance I get, I'll either go see it or, or watch it. And if you know the story, and, and I know not everybody's familiar with it, but the, the, the main character through most of the, the narrative, through the musical, Jean Valjean, uh, who is, spends 19 years in a, in a prison camp for stealing bread. And when he's released, is giving his parole papers that basically stamp him as a convict and make his life difficult. And he's finally shown some mercy and some generosity from a bishop, and he robs him. And when he's caught with the merchandise, and he's brought to accountability, the bishop, through his words, pardons him, forgives him, gives him a fresh start, lets him go, and tells him, in my words, to make good on the opportunity. 
And in a powerful scene early in the musical, Jean Valjean takes his parole papers and he tears them up. And he throws them into the air. And he claims a new name. He claims a new name, Madeline. And he goes to a new place and he starts a new life. And in the claiming of this name, he symbolically begins a new journey. His life is reborn in many ways. And his potential is unearthed. And the rest of the musical plays out as he kind of claims his old name, but never lets go of the new person he has become. But it's that scene of tearing up the papers and basically saying, I'm letting go of the past which doesn't define me any longer, but I'm claiming a new promise, a new future. That's the scene that stands out to me. Because many of us need to allow this new name to remind us that we are giving a new identity, a new possibility, that we're birthed into to new potentials in Christ. I mean, I want you to think about what Jesus does with those that he has relationship with. I mean, that's what the name communicates, is this unique relationship like God had with Abraham. I mean, Abram was an old man with no children, and God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of the nations. Are you kidding me? He didn't have any kids, but God knew what was coming. Sarah becomes princess. Jacob, if you know Jacob's story, he was a trickster. He was not a good guy. Jacob was not a model character. He was not a hero to be emulated or a role model to be followed. But he wrestles with God. And in the aftermath is given the name Israel, which means prince of God. And his future is reborn. His story is changed the possibilities are unleashed. I mean, we could go through that over and over in the Scriptures. I mean, you think about Matthew. When everyone saw Matthew, they saw tax collector. But Jesus saw disciple. And new potential was born. When the crowd that hung around Jesus, when the religious leaders look at them, they saw sinners. But Jesus saw companions. And a new future was born. A woman is dragged into the streets by a crowd of people with stones in their hand and they call her immoral. And Jesus looks at her and calls her forgiven. And a new future is born. Common fishermen, common fishermen on the shore of Galilee. And Jesus looks at him and says, you will be fishers of men. And a new future is born. God is all about new things, new futures, new promises, new potential for us when we allow him to claim us. He desires it, but when we open our hearts and allow him to claim us and to name us beloved son and daughter, friend, when he allows us to be his chosen, his holy nation, the possibilities are endless if we hold to faith. So the new year is all about new beginnings. But for us, it's not because it's a new year. We can preach the sermon in February, March, April, May, and June, and beyond. And the truth would still be as evident. God is about new things. New things. Let us be a people that move into our potential, into our future, by the power of God 
who has claimed us, named us, and moves us forward, given us new beginnings, new possibilities, and new hope. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for this promise that you, you give us that, that we're your people and you hold fast to us and you name us beloved and chosen and holy nation so that you can move us into new possibilities, new experiences, new futures full of promise and hope. And all this is done through the power of Christ Jesus. May we have the faith to believe and to hold fast to you as you hold fast to us. In Christ we pray. Amen.